Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I'll be joined as usual by Gavin Shaw in just a moment. And we are joined once again by Dallas Amico of the Strickland, who is coming back to continue our discussion on Donovan Mitchell that we started the other day. But not so much on the trade front, more on his basketball fit with the Knicks potentially, as well as in this episode, we get into Jalen Brunson and what his fit is going to be like. If those two players are a little too redundant, Dallas thinks so. I push back a little bit on that. We have a really nice discussion on that and a bunch more in this, once again, wide-ranging episode with one of our favorite guests. We'll get into it right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Up, up, left. Now fires it. He's good! And he's fouled! And he's out! And he's out! Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or take in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And I'll be joined in just a second by Gavin Shaw, my usual co-host, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And as I said, we're joined again by Dallas Amico of the Strickland to talk. Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, and more. So I won't hold this up any further. Let's get into part two of this discussion with Dallas. But we've just seen, you know, Donovan Mitchell have (laughs) really epic effort lapses in major, you know, uh, playing for the number one seed last year, um, playing on a playoff team this year uh, with in a relatively weak conference with, you might think, like a possibility to actually go deep um, and just really not trying, not caring. That concerns me. I mean, you know, I I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I how willing I am to make that gamble. But anyways, I'll, I'll ask you what you guys think about it because I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, I uh, I would say that I I go back and forth too, right? Because I think that one of the big things was that he had a reputation as a defender coming out of college. And I think yeah. earl- earlier on in his NBA career, he did play better defense than he does now. Um, there's also... It seemed it, it has seemed like ever since COVID that he's been more checked out with that team, despite being on a number one seed, despite, you know, being in a weaker conference this past year, having a chance to probably make it to the second round or maybe if things had really broken well to the conference finals or something. It, there just seemed to be something off, you know, and it's not something that anyone in Utah would ever admit, you know, like our boss, David Locke, would be like, what it literally said it to us earlier this season like <laughs> what are you talking about he would never go to the go to new york whatever you know like you don't see these things necessarily but there's sort of those like inklings there and sometimes they're louder than others like with julius randall this year 
where it's like, oh, something's definitely very off. And he seems very checked out with this team. And sometimes it just feels subtle, you know, like there's been all these little offhand comments that Mitchell's made where it seems like, oh, did he just throw Rudy Gobert under the bus? Like, you know, uh, very quietly, you know, like not not saying it out loud, but, you know, dropping hints in a, a national media interview. So I wonder, you know, I do agree with your point that generally it's like if guys are on bad teams, it's like Oklahoma City. You know, you don't think the Sam Presti is like going into team meetings being like defense is optional. You know what I mean? Or like going to the coach and being like, don't worry about chewing these guys out for this stuff. We'll worry about this in a year or two. You know, like there's definitely, you know, and also just the mental toll of losing every night and stuff like that makes sure. it so guys don't try as hard. If you're already down 20, you're not going to be as inclined to try to fight for that 10th win a, a third of the way through the season or whatever, as you would, if, if you were on a 20 win team already by that point. Um, so yeah, I, I have definitely more hope for like Mitchell than I do for like a Julius Randall, for example, um, just at least on this team, just cause it seems like, you know, maybe the change of scenery is what's needed. Maybe if Julius ends up on a, on like the Lakers or something, and he's like the de- well-defined third option of that team, then he won't have these lapses that seem mostly this year caused by his frustrations on the offensive end with not getting foul calls or not getting the ball enough or whatever. There was like a direct correlation between like offense bad for Julius defense bad because of Julius. You know what I mean? Um, whereas Mitchell, I don't know. I don't know if I fully think that he's like, gone yet as far as defensive potential like i think that there's maybe a a chance that particularly if you could lower his like i agree with you in regards to the offense that i think that it's more than likely that tibbs is going to give him the i guess like randall treatment or the rose treatment whatever you want to call it and just be like or like the rj barrett second half of this year treatment you know randall be damned uh and just be like go out there and get me some buckets, kid, you know, like get out there and, and I'm going to give you the ball all the time. I want to feature you. Like you're going to be my offense. You know, that's how Tibbs loves to do it. Um, I think there's a chance that happens, but there's also a decent chance that maybe Tibbs will finally get some sort of ultimatum from the front office or something. And they'll be like, Hey man, like we respect you and everything, but we would appreciate if you could make an offense that features everybody better, maybe even sign him an offensive assistant sometime between now and the start of the season or something like that to sort of, or empower Johnny Bryant more say like, Hey Tibbs, like you already know you're on thin ice. So you handle, handle mostly the defense. Bryant's going to handle the offense, but I could see a world where Mitchell ends up with a lesser usage percentage uh, while also keeping a somewhat similar role to what he had in Utah where, you know, they didn't bring Brunson in to not initiate the offense. You know, sure. like you don't pay. We keep saying, yeah, he is like the 14th highest paid point guard in the league. And that's well and good. And I think he's paid perfectly fairly, but you don't pay a guy like 25 plus million dollars to just be the same guy he was in Dallas. You know, like you're taking the big shot on him because you believe in him and think that, you know, he can, he can do stuff. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I think that his, Offensive burden hopefully should be less uh, on a team where even if we're assuming that Randall gets jettisoned, maybe even in the Mitchell deal, which I think could be somewhat likely. 
um, to try to get some shake some extra picks off of somewhere else to save the Knicks some picks, but uh, like LA, for example. But like, I I kind of think that there's there's hope for Mitchell on the defensive end. I don't think that he's necessarily a lost cause, which I don't think is what you were saying either. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it went either way. Let's put it that way. Like I would put my expectations at about a coin flip right now, as far as if he would improve and become like a quality two way part of the offense, maybe at a little bit of a detriment to his like overall scoring average or whatever, even if his efficiency stays great um, versus like, he just kind of stays the same guy that he's been on U- in Utah, except for initiating more often because of Tibbs. And maybe even his defense suffers more as a result. I, I could, I feel like it's like a, an equally possible scenario either way to me right now. But Gavin, I'll throw that to you too for thoughts, just because I was. It's a pretty thought provoking topic. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I go back to what I said before, where I'm I'm always reticent to think changing context will change how someone plays defensively. Um, what, what's more encouraging to me is just his age. Is that he's still still such a young guy and there aren't really any questions from a character perspective like people coming out of utah right now would have to some extent every motivation to do like a character assassination like outside of downgrading his value but like i'm sure there are people who are mad but by and large what you hear i mean we had again uh, our boss but like the voice of the jazz in this podcast and nothing but good things to say about him like everyone there describes him as the ultimate professional like comes in does his work says the right things does the right things obviously i, I think that was a crucial point from Alex that things with Rudy just got very, very weird at a certain point. Um, and that could have certainly played a factor. And there are other people out there you hear all the time who are like, you know, Oh, he's a New Yorker. He's a, he's a New Yorker three and three. Once he gets to New York, he'll be diving for loose balls all the time. I'm not sure. I have no idea. I think if you're trading for him, you're, you're making a bet on the transcendent offensive talent and that you'll have the defensive personnel to cover up for his weaknesses on that end. And, and the only other thing I can say to it is like, look, that stuff has to factor in. Like when Danny Ainge is asking for four unprotected picks and all three of OB, Quinton and IQ, you can come back and say like, you know what, if I was trading for like a six, eight dude that also played incredible defense and was a very willing passer. Sure. You'd get all that stuff, but the reality is he isn't. And uh, that hurts the Knicks in the sense that like you want to acquire that number one guy. And there, there's some logic to maybe holding these assets for someone who fills all those things. The other side of that is you can get him and, and still have some stuff in the tank because he's not that, that perfect dude. And that's, that's where I come back on. All right. We're going to take our first break real quick. Be right back in with Dallas to talk about Jalen Brunson and a bunch more other fun stuff. But first, I got to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in game betting scores and podcasts they have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. And I just went and checked some lines and the Mets for today's game with Chris Bassett on the hill against former Met Zach Wheeler, one and a half run favorites over the Phillies. I'm always betting the Mets, baby. So, Bet Mets and, you know, hope for a series win. I'm currently watching a Jacob deGrom masterpiece uh, as I record this intro. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe that'll be a 1-1 tie and then this will be the deciding game. I would bet on the Mets. They've been playing really great lately. But no matter what, head to bet online because that's the place where you want to go. 
to make all of your sports wagering bet online where the game starts. Uh, Dallas, if you, if you want to lay out any final thoughts on Donovan, that, that's totally cool too. But I, I kind of wanted to get your thought on the other big Knicks acquisition of this summer, uh, Jalen Brunson, who was merely a, a twinkle in our eye the last time. You came on the podcast. We, we've talked a decent amount about Brunson as an individual, but I'm curious what you think the cascading effect of Jalen Brunson is. We keep saying it with him uh, pretty easily, the Knicks' best point guard since uh, Stefan Marbury. Uh, given that fact, whose life does he make easiest uh, as he comes to the New York Knicks? Yeah. Um, I, so I will say one just last thing about Donovan Mitchell. Um and before answering that, um, on the uh, uh, defensive side of the ball, you were talking about, you know, putting the, the right guys around him. One of the interesting things is the dif- differences between Snyder's defensive scheme and Tibbs' defensive scheme is while they both like to play drop coverage with sort of a rim defender, you know, Mitch for Gobert or whatever, they play radically different help coverages. Um where Snyder basically had a scheme where nobody ever sent help. So like Donovan Mitchell, you know, had to guard his man and then that's it. You know, Uh, he rarely had to go help anywhere. On the other hand, Tibbs is going to run a very aggressive helping scheme. Your guards are helping down on drives. They're digging, they're getting into the paint. If they're on the, somebody who's in the wing, they're bumping the roll man um, and getting really low. Uh, into the paint and then recovering out the shooters. So Tibbs' uh, defensive scheme requires a lot of multiple efforts um, and a lot of defensive awareness. And that is so that's a thing. So it could be the case, like if you know guys who don't who aren't aware, right, and who aren't a willing or able to give those multiple efforts can sometimes look even worse in a Tibbs style defense, I think, than they do in a a defense like that where you're like okay everything just funnels to rudy if you're beat no worries nobody help anybody just let rudy clean it all up and take care of it all you know um so th- so that's maybe a thing to think about too but okay so jalen brunson who does he help the most uh it's a great question so uh i don't know really that's it's hard because um i'm there i'm curious to see what brunson looks like in a new scheme because when i watch brunson in dallas um, I think of him a lot like I think of Donovan Mitchell, very different athletically and very different sort of ways of scoring. Um, Donovan Mitchell is super sudden and aggressive and whatever, where, you know, Brunson is a little more finesse and a little bit more strength maybe. And like, just going to score in a little bit different sort of ways, 25 pivots, you know, and <laughs> eventually get, uh, uh, a fade away in the, in the paint somehow, um, you know, but uh, where Donovan Mitchell's going to like glide through two defenders and put up a layup um, over another defender or something like that. But despite that, as offensive players, I think they're pretty similar in the sense that um, both of them are score first. Um, neither of them are, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Brunson is also like Donovan Mitchell in, in the sense that his sliders are heavily, or at least in Dallas, were heavily to the score side and not to the pass side. Right. Um, he's a solid passer, but he's not a very I would he's not a good passer for a point guard, you know. Like he can make the reads, very simple reads, 
he doesn't have half the passing talent that like a guy like Donovan Mitchell has. Um, but they both pass about the same amount, you know, roughly about the same, it seems like to me. Um, you know, they're primarily looking to score. Uh, they're primarily looking for their own shot. Um, and then other things where you might think guys, so they're, so I don't think they're going to be like setting up somebody like, it's not like Obi is going to get like a ton more, you know, role opportunities now or something because of Brunson, unless, you know, one possibility is that in the Dallas scheme with Luca's the primary, um, Brunson was sort of used as an outlet as a play finisher type, right? So Spencer Dinwiddie was kind of doing this too. So you might think like his role was not to really pass that much or not to be that kind of, that kind of guy. It was more about like, okay, late in the shot clock, you're going to get the ball after the Luca possession fails and you're going to try to, you know, find a way to get a bucket and probably don't have a lot of time to work and pass the ball, that sort of thing. So maybe there's some, some room for growth. Um, but the other sort of way you might think like a guy is going to really help guys is by spacing the floor um, or making a lot of quick decisions as a connector or something like that, or getting out in transition. Um, but I don't think uh, I really see, uh, you know, Brunson as a great floor spacer. Uh, he's a good shooter, but he doesn't take many catch and shoot threes, you know, even after or even playing off of a guy like Luca, who's like going to be the best in the NBA at setting you up for a catch and shoot threes. He really wasn't taking a lot. Right. Um, so I don't see that really. help. So I don't know that. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons I'm concerned about putting Donovan and Brunson together is that it's two really awesome offensive players. Um, like I'm, I'm saying all of this, but like, I really think Brunson's awesome. He's really great. Uh, but, uh, they're not guys who really make each other better. So you're going to end up with an offense. It reminds kind of like, uh, reminds me a little bit of what the Clippers have where like mm -hmm. Paul George and Kawhi sort of take turns. They're both really awesome, but. Neither are great passers. They're decent, you know, decent, okay. But really, like, the Clippers' offense is as good as those guys are at scoring for themselves any given night for the most part. And I sort of think that's what the offense would end up looking like, especially with Tibbs as coach. It'd be, like, probably as good as those two guys are at scoring by themselves, and maybe then RJ will get a turn here and there or whatever. But I don't know that just from watching them – and, again, some of it could be role and scheme, and that might change – but I don't see a lot that I'm like, oh, yeah, really going to elevate other guys' games. Um, maybe make some guys' lives easier by not having to be the primary option when they weren't cut out for it, right? Like maybe RJ wasn't quite ready to be like, you know, primary full usage guy. But I, I actually think he probably could stand to continue to have the usage. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Those are sort of my thoughts right now. But uh, pushback or agreement or what do you guys think about that? I think I would be pretty well in agreement with that um you know i i think that i think as far as brunson and mitchell's fit goes one thing that i will say like so uh, someone that we talked to that i've really appreciated her insights on brunson was lauren gunn who we had on a couple times um who's covered the maps for a while and you know knows brunson super well and one thing that she said always was like and and i think rj has a lot of this in him too where because of the environment they came up in in the league um they're accustomed to either having or not having the ball uh i think mitchell if you gave him a situation where you start saying yeah you're not gonna touch the ball as much that that's gonna be a huge adjustment for him you know right away because even if he's not as we talked about like setting up all the offense himself uh, and, you know, generating tons of just like, uh, you know, first to 24th second, you know, 
ISO possessions like a Julius Randle or something, you know, he's he's still accustomed to being that play finisher, if nothing else, um, or being the guy that has touches the ball at some point on the offensive possession. Whereas when we talked to Lauren about Brunson, it reminds me a lot of RJ in the sense that he sort of came up being more off ball and he's developed these on ball skills over time. Um, and so he's used to taking spot up threes and he's used to, you know, playing off of Luca and not being the guy with the ball in his hands. Obviously we saw once he was unleashed, like in this year's playoffs, he had a great series against the jazz and then had a great playoffs the rest of the way out, um, yeah. which is probably what earned him the hundred million dollar contract he just signed. But uh, although the Knicks probably would have given him the top, top end of his free agent value regardless, but you know, that's how he set his market is by, you know, showing that he did have those skills. But prior to that, he was kind of just like a really great, I don't want to pigeonhole him and say glue guy, but you know what I mean? Like in that general vicinity, it's like a, a guy that can score some, that can pass some, you know, but that doesn't need the ball to be successful on offense uh, because he just kind of, he can also just keep the ball moving real fast if you need him to, or, uh, you know, the ball doesn't have to stop with him and do something first, you know? Mm. Um and so I think that's sort of how I feel about him. Like I feel pretty similar about both he and RJ in that regard, where I think like either of them could take a step forward or either of them could on any given night kind of take a back seat if need be. And I think that's sort of the beauty of coming up in the sort of environments that both of them did playing off of in Brunson's case, like legitimately one of the top five players in the NBA and Luka Doncic and in RJ's case playing off of, a guy that for at least one season was like a top 15 <laughs> player in the NBA uh, running an offense and Julius Randle, you know, I, I think that there's a chance that Brunson could be better than we maybe think. I I will say, so I have another question for you, Dallas, but uh, Gavin, I'll throw it to you too. If you want to quickly respond to this and, and maybe just pass it along to Dallas. But I think my biggest concern is on the defensive end. Um, and this might even just be a short answer of like, yeah, they're going to kind of suck right there, uh, you know, on defense. But that's where my biggest concern lies. Like when you're taking that downgrade from Rudy Gobert to Mitchell Robinson, which it is a downgrade, like one's a multi-time defense player of the year. The other is a guy who is a, a no doubt a great rim protector, but someone who really needs to still kind of like fully figure things out on defense at the NBA level. Um and hopefully regain some of his bounciness and switchiness that he had earlier in his career going into this next season after he just, you know, made his first big payday in the NBA. But, um, you know, you have this downgrade in that Brunson, I would say probably an upgrade at this point over like old Mike Conley. Um, but I mean, the Utah defense pretty much was Rudy Gobert, like Gobert, like by himself as a top 15 offense or sorry, top 15 defense. Um, so Gavin, I'll throw it to you first. Like, what's your concern level with that pairing potentially? Because that that's probably the thing that keeps me up most tonight. It's just that the Knicks are just going to have this team that maybe is a lot of fun, but ultimately mm-hmm. has given up so many points at the point of attack that it doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, I'm going to copy Dallas and talk a little bit about the previous point first and then get to it. But yeah. um, I'm, I'm totally, I, I think it's so interesting when we talk about how Brunson's going to fit 
in on this team because as a scorer, he's so creative, right? And, and, and he's this brilliant example of someone who has so thoroughly mastered the fundamentals of basketball. Again, like similar to Donovan Mitchell with his explosiveness, like about as well as anyone on earth, like that he, he can just combine them in these ingenious ways. And sometimes you hear like someone's fundamentally sound and you think of like something really boring, like, like Tim Duncan with like drop steps and stuff, but like you, you stack fundamentals on fundamentals on fundamentals. It, it turns into like this incredibly intricate dance where as, as we've noted, he's just faking guys out of his shoes at all times. But then when I watch him as a passer and, and this could be just from, I like, maybe I just have to watch him more, but I see someone, it's uh, a PD web who we have in the podcast. Like he uses the term like Academy brain. That's what I see with Brunson. Like someone who was the son of a former player and like a long time coach who will be his current coach and his dad Rick um and he just he just makes the next right play but I do think to to your point Alex you, you were nailing this with that just he's a guy who keeps the ball moving along there's a real advantage to that on the Knicks a team that just hasn't had a lot of that because Julius Randle is so poor of that and he's been the fulcrum of their offense and I just think it can be like I keep using this term like kind of like an exponential effect like it can be very additive but like even even more additive than it normally would be playing off of guys like IQ and OB and, and I'm hoping like whether they get Mitchell and I think this will especially be true if they get Mitchell and you want to stagger Mitchell and Brunson like for the defensive end but I also argue for the offensive end that he gets a lot of minutes with those bench units and gets to play with IQ and gets to play with OB because I, I think it, it's sort of uh, like the whole Bill Simmons thing with Larry Bird that he made everyone else around him a better passer like not that IQ and OB are those level of guys but they have those those instincts to always make that pass and I think Brunson does too and I, I think they could um, just by their creativity open up some latent creativity in him because I, I think he has all the skills necessary to do that so I, I think his passing is going to be so shaped by his context and the only other thing I'll add is that he is a fantastically good lob passer, and that'll be great for Mitchell Robinson and very good for Hartenstein as well. Um, defensively, I, that, I was curious to get Dallas's thoughts on that too, because last time you were going to come on Dallas, we were going to talk about how the Knicks were. I just had to look up the stat to reconfirm it. Literally the best defense in the NBA post all-star break. And the argument that I've heard some people make in, in terms of not being super concerned about Mitchell and Brunson is that the Knicks have done that by and large with pretty poor defensive personnel on the floor. Anyways, I guess like if Tibbs was going to like have a defensive starting Alec Burks all last year, like he would probably print out that uh, page on NBA stats.com and like hand it out to everyone and say, Hey, it was working on defense. The fact that we had a huge point guard and could like switch a bunch and I could play my preferred style. That was working. That's what you brought me here to do. I got, Julius Randle and RJ Barrett and Evan Fournier to be the number one defense in the NBA. That's pretty amazing. But Dallas, do you think he can, he can pull that same trick if the Knicks are to acquire Mitchell and have Brunson um, or in a world where they just have Brunson this year, maybe that's even a little bit easier because you could throw Quentin Grimes in that starting lineup. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to do my thing and go back a little bit. Please. And then I'll answer yeah. that. Dude, dude, it's your signature. <laughs> so uh, Alex, I absolutely, I, the, the RJ comparison is awesome. It's a really good one. It's actually, uh, I don't know. There's a lot there. I think it's really, a really interesting comparison, but this, so answering your initial question, Gavin, by thinking of the RJ, yeah. uh, comparison, maybe it won't be on the court that he'll help anyone the most, but off the court with teaching RJ the craft to finish at the rim without, um the explosive athleticism right because like rj's big thing is he can't you know he he doesn't beat guys and then he doesn't really go over guys um so he really needs to improve his footwork around the rim and his craft in order to have especially since he doesn't have like super elite touch to be able to to be uh you know league average or maybe a little better 
finisher for his size at the at the rim. So maybe that would be because like uh, <laughs> you you guys are talking about how awesome Brunson is. He's like uh, uh, he's got like the Hakeem pivot package in like yeah. a, a six one body or whatever. So cool. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So now we're going to the defensive question. Um, yeah. So I think so. I have a a long term answer is. Uh, my like long term, if you bring in Donovan Mitchell, I think you're probably committing to not having both of them when you contend. I think you're committing to either moving one or the other in a future package. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really struggle to see a contender with those two guys on the floor, unless something radical happens where Donovan Mitchell gets better at <laughs> defense. Um, because I think it's you can definitely be fine with Brunson as your worst defender, um, but when he's your second worst defender or third worst defender, um, it's one thing to cover up uh, and to have a decent defense with guys who are going to try hard in the regular season. Um, especially, I think we've seen over the past few years, drop defenses have greater regular season advantages, and they in the playoffs are not always as effective and uh you're starting to because rather than you know every third night or every fourth night facing an elite pull-up shooter who can punish it you face almost every team in the playoffs has an elite you know one night it's trey the next night it's you know if you get to the next round it's brown or tatum and then the next round if you get there it's steph right like this is sort of what you're you're forced to do drop defense starts to get a little harder to maintain and the sort of defense I think Tibbs likes um uh has to morph a little bit and then in the playoffs another thing is uh 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 teams hunt guys right um some teams hunt in isolation like the old LeBron style or whatever some teams like the Warriors or the Heat like to put bad players in off-ball actions um, and really punish them. We saw that he absolutely destroyed Trey Young <laughs> in the playoffs this year doing that um, with not even a great offensive team. Um, we saw, so like you're going to face coaches like that who are going to scheme stuff up. Um, we saw, I mean, the Warriors have just done it for years, picking on bad defenders, um, getting them into the actions with Steph off the ball and forcing them to make decisions. And you're getting a layup because they missed the switch or you're getting Steph open for a three because they were asleep for a half a second, right? It's just, um, you're going to, you're going to face teams like this. And it's going to be really hard. I think with both now in fairness to Jalen Brunson, I think he's, I think he'd be, he's definitely fine as your worst defender, um, uh, on a team, on a playoff team, on a finals team, even, I, I think his, his defense, uh, is actually better than it sometimes gets credit for. Um, he's pretty strong for his size, especially he's solid. Like he's not somebody who makes anything happen but he's genuine, generally in the right places, makes the right rotations. Like you don't see him lost or confused. Um, where his big weaknesses come out is getting over screens, you know, um, which again, you're going to see that be even more of a problem in a tip style scheme um, where you're not switching or you're not doing something really aggressive like blitzing, but you just have to straight up get over the screen and stay connected to your man. That's where it's going to be. Um the weakest but yeah i really would struggle to see this team contend uh it'd be hard for me to see it contend with brunson and donovan mitchell as your one two unless you end up having some really crazy five you know um that's just i mean that's sort of my my view (laughs) my view on it i don't know 
uh what do you guys does that what do you guys think about that all right that's it for today's episode we'll be back with part three of this discussion early next week where we finish up with dallas talking about some lineups that we're really excited to see both in a mitchell and non-mitchell world though we try to focus for that particular discussion on a non-mitchell world because it's it's not a guarantee it's not a for sure thing that he's going to end up on the knicks even before the season so you know we try to envision how things are going to be in that way uh we also talk about some of the the other players on the team finish talking about jalen brunson and a bunch of other great stuff so there's there's plenty of more discussion to be had here we have a third part coming your guys way uh in i'm gonna say probably in like two days uh so probably early either monday or tuesday uh it'll be up on your feed so keeping eye and ear out for that depending on where you're taking us in if you're doing youtube or if you're doing uh the podcast form but either way appreciate you guys listening to today's episode we'll be back very soon so hang tight but till next time talk to y'all soon peace out